We are going to finish a series that we've been in in December here about the Grinch enlarging my heart. And if you know anything about the story of the Grinch, his heart was two sizes too small. That was his problem. That's why he was a Grinch. But in dealing with the Who's in Whoville, um, he finally, his heart grew. And because of his love for them and his connection with them and their love for him and all that stuff, you know, the cartoon, uh, his heart grew four sizes. It was two sizes too small and became two sizes too big. And that's a great and a cute little story. But what we've been talking about the last few weeks is how God wants us to enlarge our hearts, uh, not our physical hearts, not the, the muscle that pumps the blood. We certainly need to take care of that too. But uh, what we're talking about here is our heart, our, the essence of who we are. It's our personality. It's our will. It's our decision maker. It's everything about who we are as a human being uh, that we can't see. That's the heart that we're talking about. The last three weeks, uh, we talked about first how to develop a pure heart. Then Pastor Derek did a wonderful job uh, telling us how to develop a passionate heart. And then last week, we looked at how to develop a patient heart. And today we're going to finish this series on how to develop a peaceful heart. Now, if you missed our uh, fog Christmas party, um, man, you missed a fun time. A Christmas party is always a good time. And uh, we always bring gifts and we exchange them and we do that whole thing. And, and uh, some people call it white elephant gift and some people call it playing dirty Santa, whatever that means. And, and uh, you bring a gift and some of them are good and some of them are bad. And, and you open gifts and you steal gifts and you take them from other people. and You try to position yourself to take home the best gift. Uh, it all sounds like a very unchristian thing to do, really, when I think about it that way. Uh, but this year, I kind of brought a, uh, what I thought was kind of a funny gift, and I was hoping to go home with my own gift, which I've never done before, but I thought this is the year to do it because I brought an inflatable uh, reindeer uh, ring toss game, which I thought would just be loads of fun uh, for the family to have at home, and uh, so I brought that to give away. Uh, but this year, the big winning gift, in my opinion, uh, was T.J. Gleason. He, he went home with this humongous box of Russell Stover candy. And uh, I offered to uh, help him uh, with his gift, uh, but he declined very strongly. Uh, uh, I, I was happy to see that this was the very first year in a very long time uh, that somebody did not bring uh, a Michael Porter Band album. Uh, this is my first album back in 1985. Yes, that's me. And uh, nobody brought this to exchange. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what that means. I think it means that either the person that got it last year has kept it and is listening to it on a pretty much of a daily basis and doesn't want to let go of it, uh, or the person that got it last year left the church. I don't, I don't know what it means uh, exactly. But, but either way, I'm glad it didn't show up again uh, because it always forces me to decide whether somebody is giving it as a really great gift or whether it's just another gag gift that everybody's trying to unload on somebody as they clean out their garage. So I don't have to deal with that this year, and I'm glad I didn't have to do that. But you come next year and be a part of that. Hey, today as we talk about how to develop a peaceful heart, I want you to think about a gift exchange. Okay, I want you to think about that whole process of exchanging gifts with somebody. Because what we're going to talk about today is really a little similar to that. We bring God our crazy situations that worry us, cause us to lose sleep, give us ulcers and all kinds of other health, health problems. In exchange, he gives us a heart of peace. That's right. You come and you bring this situation that's driving you out of your mind, kind of a gag gift, and by prayer you give it to God and you say, God, I can't handle this anymore. I am giving this to you. He takes your problems 
in exchange, he gives you this wonderful box of chocolates called peace. Now, that doesn't mean he necessarily is going to take the problem away. Some people think that, wow, if I just become a Christian and I give my problems to God, they'll just all go away and we won't have to deal with them anymore like the rest of you Christians. Well, that doesn't work. Uh, that's not what it's like at all. It's not like you're having this uh, problem with this difficult person, uh, you know, like we talked about last week, and all of a sudden I bring this to God and he's going to act like Michael Corleone and take him out and get rid of him, okay? It doesn't work like that. Or you're having financial problems and you buy a lottery ticket to give God the chance to bless you and solve your problem and he doesn't do it. Now, while he may not remove the problem, folks, here's the point. He's going to give us peace in the midst of those problems. Peace is not the absence of problems. It's the ability to cope with them. It's having hope in the midst of them. It's really the fact that he gives us the hope to cope. Now, why doesn't God just give these gifts of peace to everybody without the exchange? Why doesn't he, uh, you know, the Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust, the righteous and the unrighteous. Why doesn't God just uh, give peace like rain and just drop it on everybody? Well, because alongside this heart of peace, he wants to give us the fact, and he's trying to teach us to develop our faith in him. You see, peace and faith run on parallel tracks. God wants us to take the initiative in faith to come to him, to acknowledge our inability and his ability to handle the situation. That's when he shows up and gives his peace in return. We should just admit that there's a lot of lack of peace in our culture. There's a lack of peace, just general peace and quiet. There's a lack of peace in our lives, peace with ourselves, peace with, peace with others general lack of peace really in our hearts. You'd think this is the time of year that peace should reign, right? We should just all be peaceful. But with all the stress of the holidays, it seems to be more elusive really than any other time of the year. I don't know if you know this, but more people during the Christmas holidays take psychiatric drugs than any other time of the year. More people consider, commit, and actually uh, commit and are successful at committing suicide than any other time of the year. More people feel lost. More people feel isolated and overwhelmed. And their problems and their relationships are just out of control and chaotic. Now, we have a tendency as humans to look for peace in the wrong areas, in the wrong ways. I want to share with you very briefly, and I think it's in your notes, four wrong areas that we uh, try to find some kind of peace. The first way that we do that is we search for peace by getting more stuff. We try to fill our lives with the pursuit and the acquirement of more things. We just think, man, if I could just get these things for Christmas, if I could just get more stuff, my life would be better. I'd find more peace. I'd be a happier person. Now, we know that that's not really true because the fact is wealthy people are not any happier than poor people. In fact, Statistics show us that the more wealthy you are, the less peace you have. It doesn't mean that you can't be a wealthy person and have peace. It just means that if your pursuit is to get more stuff, you're never going to be satisfied. You're never going to find peace in that. The second wrong area that we search for peace is through more activity. 
more activity. We just try to fill our lives with more activity. We think, you know, my problem is I'm just not, I'm just not doing enough. I know I shouldn't ha- you know, try to get more stuff, but I just need to do more stuff. I need to be around more people. I need to do more things. And we fill up our calendars with all this stuff and we're running from morning till night, somehow thinking that by being busy, we're gonna find peace. What we really find out is that it causes us more stress. It causes us more difficulties and it really gives us less peace. We also seek peace through some kind of medication. We medicate ourselves and our society and our lack of peace, our lack of peace through either some kind of drugs or alcohol or some other form of addiction doesn't bring us peace. Now, it may make us unconscious about our lack of peace for a few minutes, for a little while, It may uh, uh, take us away from reality for a little while to realize we don't have peace, but when we wake up the next morning, we realize our our life isn't any more peaceful. In fact, uh, because we try to medicate ourselves, uh, it's really more, more chaotic. The last way that we try to find peace, we search for it, is through other people. We think that someone else or having a relationship with someone else is going to bring about peace in our hearts. We think some person is going to make us happy. If I was just with them, if I just had this right person in my life, if I just get into the right relationship or in the right marriage, if the other person, if the other person would just change, then we would find peace. This is the number one cause of casual sex and casual dating in our culture, I think. It's also the cause of divorce and adultery. There are always... That we, these are all ways that we pursue peace and we don't find it. It doesn't give us what it is we look for. You see, the problem is we crave peace. We crave it. We want it. It's hardwired in our hearts to desire peace. And yet, we have a tendency to look for it in all the wrong places. Let's look at our key verse for the last time today and I hope that maybe you've got this verse memorized now and it'll be stuck in your brain and in your heart for the rest of your life. It's Proverbs 4.23. It says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. And then in the NIV, I like the way it says it this way, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. If you want to experience peace in your life, folks, You have to develop peace in your heart because that's where it comes from. God's plan is for us to live with peace in our hearts. That's why he sent Jesus, the Prince of Peace, to give us access to peaceful hearts. Ever wonder why they called Jesus the Prince of Peace? He didn't bring peace to the planet. That wasn't his intention. That wasn't his purpose. His purpose was never to bring world peace to the planet. His purpose was to bring peace to our hearts and to our lives as individuals. Today, I'm going to give you five steps to finding the peace that God wants you to experience and the kind that Jesus made available to us. The five things spell the word peace. So instead of uh, your outline having numbers, it's got letters there. That's not a typo. But hopefully, maybe you can remember these things and and uh, bring them to your mind, recall them, if they spell something. So we're going to spell the word peace, and the first 
letter means this, priority. We were created to have a relationship with God first before anything else. Folks, there are just some ways that we are hardwired. We, we are, we are, there are many ways that we are very different as human beings, and there are, very, there are some ways that we are very much alike. And all human beings are hardwired to need and desire a relationship with God. Now, we can try to deny it. We can pretend that that doesn't exist. We can even avoid it for a while. But we just can't shake it. We just can't shake it. I'm actually having ongoing conversations with three people in my life right now who are avid non-believers, but they want to keep talking with me about it. It's interesting, and I, and I, I want to say to them, you know the reason you want to keep talking about it is because you have this deep need in your heart to connect with God, and you just won't accept it. But I know they'd probably run off, so I don't tell them that. I know it, but I don't tell them that, and I hope you're not listening to this sermon online. But folks, God needs to be our first priority in life to experience the kind of peace that he offers. You can also state this truth kind of in the negative form too. If anything else is your first priority, your life will be full of worry, depression, sadness, and chaos. The feeling of everything being out of control will rule and reign in your life. I met with a couple this week and, and trying to help them through some things. And he mentioned uh, several times, uh, you know, my wife is my first priority. My wife is my first priority. My wife is my first priority. About the third time he said, I said, hey, I want you to stop saying that. He looked at me kind of funny. He said, really? I said, yeah, I want you to start saying your wife is your second priority. Your wife is your second priority. Now she knows and loves Jesus. She'll be okay with that. I think most women are, are pretty happy being second to God. And so I said, I want you to start saying that your first priority is God. I want you to start living that way. I want you to start thinking that way. And I want you to never, ever think again that your wife is your first priority. She should always be your second priority. And he's like, that makes sense to me. I, I get that. Look what it says in Matthew 6.33. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Here what Jesus is saying is this. If you put God and his kingdom first, if you put his wants, his desires, his thoughts, his efforts first in your life, everything else will just fall into place, folks. But if you don't, if you attempt to make something else first place in your life, the rest of your life will be in chaos. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. Listen, put God first in your relationships you'll find peace in your relationships. Put God first in your finances, you'll find peace in your finances. Put God first in your marriage, you'll find peace in your marriage. Put God first in your work life, you'll find peace in your work life. Put God first in fill in the blank, you'll find peace in fill in the blank with the same words. That's how it works, folks. We need to put God first. There is no way that you can put God second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, uh, you know, anywhere down the line and experience the peace that he wants you to experience. He must be the priority. He must be the most important thing to you. He must be the thing that you seek and you run after and you chase more than anything else if you ever want to find his peace.
The second way that I think I can help you maybe develop a peaceful heart is the word exchange. I mentioned it before in my introduction, but make a conscious decision to give your problems to God to handle and then take up the gift of peace. Listen, when you're handling everything yourself, it's a terrible burden. I mean, it's a terrible burden because you have to come up with all the solutions. And most of the time, you have to come up with them immediately, which is almost impossible. Now, you might be like me. You might have a good imagination to come up with a lot of solutions and a lot of different ways to handle things. But listen, we don't hold a candle to God's plethora of ways to find a solution. He always comes up with things that I would never think of. Two weeks ago, uh, many of you know that my wife is a hairstylist, does a great job, as you can see. Two weeks ago, my wife found out that the owner of the shop that she has been in for years and years and years, uh, she rents from them. Uh, she got an eviction notice. They were fighting about fixing things in the building and all that kind of thing. And finally, the, uh, the owner said, you're out of here. You guys are out of here in 30 days. You're done. She has nowhere to work. She came home. She was very upset. She's like, well, here's what we heard today. Well, I don't know what we're going to do. And, and, you know, right then, our mind was just started clicking. Where's she going to work? What's she going to do? Uh, do we need to put a salon in our basement? Does she need to find another salon? Can they go together? Uh, her and our daughter Casey work together now, and can they go together somewhere, or are they going to have to separate, or is she going to retire early? Which wasn't really an option. But, uh, you, know, or what, you know, what's going to happen? All these different thoughts are going through. And listen, I just took a breath, thought about all the sermons I've preached, and instead of wringing our hands... Instead of laying awake, all worried and upset, I just prayed. I said, God, you know our situation better than we do. Put us on the right path. We got 30 days. That's forever to God. I mean, that, there are so many things he can do in 30 days. I trust you, God. I believe you're in total control, and I believe you're going to work this out. Well, last week... Her previous salon owner found another salon, and all of them are going to be able to go together to this new salon, which, by the way, looks more updated, is a little nicer, it's two minutes from where they used to work, and it's going to work out even, it's actually a better situation than she was in for all those years. Voila! Problem solved! Now listen, not all of them go quite this well, <laughs> Okay? Sometimes God has to, to move us and, and, and change us and do all kinds of work on us. And, and by the way, this is not just ignoring the problem. This is not just like praying and saying, okay, God, I don't know what to do, so I hope you can handle it. And then just ignoring it and living in an ivory tower, not working with him to find a, situ a, a solution. But folks, it's the active act of trusting God. It's the active act of trusting God. Okay, we're going, to keep, we're going to look for a place. We're going to be active in the process with him. But at the end of the day, I trust he's going to work it out. I'm actively trusting him as we go through this. That's what it is. You say, but Michael, I, I just can't stop worrying. I just can't stop trying to fix everything and fixing it. What does Jesus say about this? Well, look at John chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. 
You might say, I can't stop worrying. I can't not be afraid. God says you can. God says you can. Just stop being afraid. Stop being all worried. I, I, have, I, I feel like I've lived a long time now. Not a single problem in my life has ever been fixed by just worrying more. Has, have you guys ever experienced that? I, I venture to say probably not. Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. So don't, don't let your hearts get all troubled up. Don't be afraid about how things are going to work out. And you do that, and you'll be, you'll be participating in the great exchange. When you don't worry about it, you don't get anxious about it, you just turn it over to God and trust him, he says, I'll take your problem and work it out, and in exchange for that, I'll give you peace. That's a pretty good gift exchange if you ask me. The A, we've got uh, priority in exchange. The A stands for accept. To experience peace, we need to accept our limitations. You know, there are many things in life we can't control. Just most everything. <laughs> I found this quote from Larry Eisenberg. He says, the key to peace of mind is to resign as the general manager of the universe. Now, I know some of you are like, well, I don't try to do that. But I know some of you, you have a, car, you have a business card in your pocket that says general manager of the universe because you really think you are. Listen, stop that. Stop trying to take on all the things that you can't do anything about. We all have lim limitations. I can't even say the word that's a limitation. Remember... My universal rule number one, I share it with everybody that I counsel, I share it with everybody that I meet with. You can't control anybody on the planet but yourself and barely that. And that's the truth, folks. Accept that. Accept the fact that you can't control others. You can't control situations. You just can't do it. They're out of your hands. But they're not out of God's hands. They're not out of God's hands. Look what the Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, if it stopped there, that'd be a good, that'd be a good quote. That'd be a good thing for us to do. Well, look what happens. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In this verse, folks, we're seeing that God is waiting to guard our hearts for us. He's waiting to guard our minds for us. If we'll just accept the fact that we can't control every aspect of life. And instead of filling our hearts with worry, we fill them with faith and acknowledgement that God can handle it. And guess what? He will. He will. I've been in 4,842 situations in my lifetime that I didn't know would work out, that I was worried how they would work out. And guess what? I'm still standing here. They've all worked out. Somehow they've all worked out. And I'm still standing. We spend a lot of time worrying and being all caught up in things that we can't do anything about. But when we give those over to him, look, look what we get back. We get peace in return if we're honest 
about participating in the exchange. So just accept the fact that you can't control everything and everybody on the planet. The fourth thing is to confess. The fourth, fourth thing is to confess. Confessing our sins brings about peace in our hearts. Sin, as defined by the Bible, is any thought or action that displeases God. Anything that goes against his expressed word or his character. So I want us today to just practice this. Let's have a corporate time of confession this morning, okay? I'd like everybody to turn to the person next to them and confess your three biggest sins. Ready? Go. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Don't panic. Don't panic. Uh, maybe that's not a good idea. <laughs> I'm not sure that I want to know you that well, and I'm not sure you want to know me that well either, you know? You see, when we sin and kind of dirty up our hearts, the act of confessing our sinfulness is the way that God purifies our hearts. Now, some people think you have to go somewhere to confess. Some people think you have to go talk to a specific person to confess. Some people think you've got to list everything to confess. And, and sometimes people will come to me and say, you know, Michael, this whole confession thing really you know, blows my mind. My, my problem is at the end of the day when I'm ready to confess, I don't know if I can remember everything. What if I miss some stuff? Is God still going to forgive me? Folks, this is not the act of, you know, it's not some kind of memory test where God's going to test us to see if we can remember every single bad thought and bad thing we've done all day at the end of the day so we can confess it. But what it is, the biblical view of confession is agreeing with God that we are sinners. That's what it is. It's not listing all of my sins, although you can do that. It's a, it's a great way for you to remember what they are and maybe, maybe gain some more victory over them. But you don't see anybody in the Bible doing that. You don't see any example in the New Testament of somebody getting alone with God saying, okay, God, I've got 42 things I need to confess. Let me start at the beginning. Here, I had a bad thought about this guy. I had a bad... They don't do that. So we are really going to have a true biblical time of corporate confession. So let's all just say out loud together, I know I'm a sinner. Ready? I know I'm a sinner. See, confession is just agreeing with God. God, you're right and I'm wrong. I'm a sinner. I do what I want to do instead of what you want to do. And look what happens when we confess our sins. 1 John 1.9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Folks, you want to experience God's peace on a fairly continual basis? Just admit, God, you're holy and I'm not. God, I'm a sinner. You're not. I do things my own way in, contra in contradiction of your way. Please forgive me. And the Bible says very clearly here, he will do that and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. So we have the right priorities. We participate in the great exchange. We accept that we can't change everything and everybody. And we confess our sins. Lastly, the E is to enjoy. Listen, God wants you to experience and enjoy peace in your life. He does. I mean, all these verses that talk about peace, it's important to him. He wants us to experience that. By following these first four steps, God will give you some temporary peace from the hustle and bustle of life and all its problems. 
If you will make God the top priority, peace will reign in your life. God will give you some temporary peace if you exchange your problems with his plan and you put your faith in him to work them out. God will give us some temporary peace if we'll accept our limitations and learn to trust him with the things that are too big for us to handle. And God will give us some temporary peace if we confess the fact that we are sinners and we remain so even with our best attempt to completely stop sinning. But, folks, God does not, he wants to go way beyond that and give us a permanent, eternal peace with him and with ourselves in our hearts. That's why he sent his son Jesus to earth, to buy our eternal peace with him. He had to send the prince of peace to give us peace. You know, when I was a kid, we had this kind of running joke uh, in my extended family, and, and actually it continues to this day. Uh, we had Christmas yesterday with my uh, sister and her family and all my kids and grandma and all that kind of stuff, you know. And, and uh, there was this thing, there was always one present under the tree that was too big to wrap, and so my parents put it in a garbage bag. So there was always one big black garbage bag underneath the tree in the far back, and we would open all the gifts in front of it, you know, and somebody would get the big giant prize at the end, you know, the garbage bag. Uh, there was a garbage bag even yesterday, and, and I didn't get it, but I'm not bitter. Uh, now, we thought when we were kids, we thought that's the coolest thing because the bigger the, bigger the gift, the better the gift, right? I mean, bicycles came in the garbage bag because sometimes they you know, put one on this end and one on that end. You know, big toys came in garbage bags. Really fun stuff came in garbage bags. But as we grew a little older, what we learned was the best gifts don't always have to be the biggest ones. Really expensive jewelry usually comes in a small box. Really big gift cards usually come in a small box. There are a lot of really great gifts that come in kind of a small box. They're not quite as uh, big. They're not quite as you know, boisterous and, and just hugenic. It's not the way that a gift is wrapped or the size of the gift box that really matters. It's the actual importance of the gift inside that makes a gift so valuable. And it's the same way with God's gift. You may have heard this verse. You may know this verse. But look at John 3.16. It's the best Christmas verse I know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son Jesus, the most important gift ever to be born. And where was he born? In a stable or cave, a place where animals ate and stayed. Certainly was a lowly place. He was born to humble parents with not very much, very humble means. He grew up in that kind of value, in that system, in that family, it didn't look very important, but the value of that gift is unmatched, even now in history. Because Jesus, that humble little baby, grew up to be a man, and he died on the cross to pay for all of our sins. He is the best gift that has ever uh, 
come down the pike, so to speak. He went through a terrible death. He was beaten. He was scourged. He was mocked. He was punched. He was just beat to a pulp. In fact, the Bible says he was marred more than any man. He took a physical beating and then was nailed onto a cross through his hands and feet. And there he raised himself up for each breath until finally he could lift himself no longer. And he died on the cross for our sins. Now we see that and we think, wow, what a terrible thing. And it was. But what an incredible gift it was. What an incredible gift that God has given to us. And he's put it right out here for us to receive. All we have to do is put our faith and trust in Jesus and what he did on the cross to pay for our sins and we receive it. It's laying like right under the tree, ready for you to pick up and open. Now, I want to encourage you, in order to find some peace in your life, do these steps. You will develop a peaceful heart. It will help you. But folks, this Christmas, if you haven't yet put your faith and trust in Jesus to not only give you temporary peace, but eternal peace, peace with God. Do it today. Do it this Christmas. You will receive the greatest gift ever given and you won't just leave it laying there under the tree. You know, at the end of Christmas, uh, especially when the grandsons come over and we have all that fun, we open all these presents, we always are really careful to look under the tree, behind the fireplace, you know, behind the entertainment center, just to make sure that we got everything. We don't want to leave anything unopened. Don't leave this gift unopened. Don't walk away from it. You'll deny yourself eternal peace in your heart and your mind forever. Receive Jesus. Make this the best Christmas of your lifetime. Experience the peace in your heart that eludes us as human beings but is available to us if we just trust him and follow him. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word. It guides us and leads us and teaches us so many wonderful things. Father, we're most thankful for the best gift that you've ever given us, your son, Jesus. God, help us to do these things. Help us to make you our priority. Help us to participate in this exchange where we give you our problems, our issues, our, our, our chaos, and you give us back peace because we trust you with them. We trust you to handle them. God, help us in every way to just do the things you want us to do so that we can experience the peace that you want us to have. You've mentioned it so much in your word, it's obvious you want us to experience it. God, help us to do that. Help us encourage one another to do that and work together uh, to just uh, help each other do that. And then, Father, if there's anyone here who has never put their faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross to save them from their sins, I pray you would help them do that today, that this would truly be the best Christmas they've ever had, that they'll look back on this Christmas years, decades, scores later, and look back and say, this was my best Christmas because this is the day, this is the year that I put my trust in Jesus and he's given me peace in my life 
ever since. God, help us as we go through difficulties and trials that we don't suppose you're not there because they don't go away, but we realize that you're working with us and you're giving us faith and hope to work through them in the midst of them. God, we love you and we thank you so much for your love, for your care for us, for the way that you just bless our lives so tremendously. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.